Bible and turn to Psalm 116. We'll be reading from Psalm 116 today. Psalm 116, if you're new to the Bible, if you were to open your Bible just about halfway through, you would probably find yourself right around at Psalm 116 in the book of Psalms, and look for Psalm 116. Psalm 116, this is what Holy Scripture says. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. I, O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low... He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, I just want to reiterate what Pastor Tim and Pastor Paul have already said. The classrooms are open and available for you, so please feel free to stand up if you don't want to get wet. Go and sit in one of those classrooms. You're not offending me. I will do my best, by the grace of God, to preach my first point and to do that briefly as we're just aware that we're in the rain. And I pray and I hope it will be of benefit to you. We're in Psalm 116. The bond between the person in need and the rescuer who saves is a powerful one. Think of the people in the Netherlands who to this day treat Canadians with such respect, with such honor, all because of Canadian forces who were involved in the liberation of Holland back in World War II over 70 years ago. Their thankfulness has traveled down through generation to generation towards us. That bond between the helpless and the rescuer It's something powerful. It's something unique. And it's something that each of us here as believers has experienced firsthand. Brothers and sisters, isn't it true that we were people desperate? People in a terrible situation. Our sins warranted the judgment of God against us. 
And the death penalty that hangs over all of man, mankind hanged over us. And yet at the right time, in the right way, God sent forth his son Jesus to die on the cross and to save us from our sins. And now we have that unbreakable bond with the Lord. That means we're to be a people of gratitude. We're to be a people of thankfulness. You see, that bond between the helpless and the rescuer, it's a bond in which the person who's been saved overflows with gratitude and thankfulness to the one who rescued them. Church, isn't it true then, as people who have been saved from the worst of all dangers, that we should have the greatest of all gratitudes to the Lord? Yes, we are to be a people of thankfulness. We must be a people of gratitude. In Psalm 116, we see painted here for us a man who exhibits and lives out gratitude. This psalm of thanksgiving will show us once again and remind us once again how we as people who have experienced God's saving intervention, how are we then to respond to God? It's in gratitude. It's in thanksgiving. We're to give thanks to the Lord who saves us. We're to give thanks to the Lord who saves you. Now, in approaching Psalm 116, you need to remember that we're reading a psalm, a worship song that would have been sung by the people of Israel, whether as individuals or as a corporate assembly during their worship gathering. You also have to keep in mind that this particular psalm probably would have been sung during the Passover meal in which families would gather together to eat a meal, commemorating and remembering how God saved his people during the Exodus. You'll notice right off the bat that this psalm doesn't have any marker of who wrote it. And likewise, you'll also notice as it was read that the exact trial that this man went through is not detailed. And that's actually to our benefit. That's actually to our blessing. Because fundamentally, the point of this psalm is not exactly what this man went through. But this man's experience was meant to be representative of how God will always save his covenant people. The author is saying, just as God has saved me, so he will save us. This was true for the people of Israel, and it's true for us, Church of Christ. Today, our God still remains as the God who saves. We'll find that we'll identify both with the struggle and salvation that this psalmist experienced, and we'll identify with the three responses that he has to the Lord, three responses of gratitude. And we're examining this psalm all with the aim that we would join with the author and give thanks to the Lord who saves us, give thanks to the God who saves us, both from our sins and in the midst of our day-to-day trials. With that, let me read verses 1 and 2, and that will lead us to our first response of thanksgiving. Look at your Bible. Verse 1 and 2 says this. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. This is the first response of thankfulness. It's this, love the Lord who answers your prayers. Love the Lord who answers your prayers. The author opens with this statement, I love the Lord. 
And with those words, we see a peek into his innermost being. We see a window into his heart. And what, what lies there? What is at the core of the man? What is in his heart of hearts, so to say? It's love for God. I love the Lord. A deep dedication, delighting, and devotion to God. As we learned in our one, Love One Another series back in April, love for God is both passionate affection for God and determined obedience to God. For this man, there was nothing more important to him than God. Friend, if a spotlight were to be shone on your heart, if a spotlight were to illuminate your soul, what would be found there? Is it Zealous, passionate affection for the Lord, commitment for God? Or is your heart in a state of indifference? Granted, even as the people of God, it would be dishonest for us to state that our hearts are always in earnest towards the Lord. Or that our obedience is unwavering. And yet, though we may be unable to love God perfectly in this life, we may still love him genuinely and sincerely. Like Peter in John chapter 21, verse 19, being asked for the third time if he truly loved Jesus, he could respond to Christ, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Friend, do you love the Lord? Do you truly love God? Or is your heart like those in the church of Ephesus and Revelation 2 who had abandoned their first love? Or are you like those prophesied of in Matthew chapter 24 whose love for God had grown cold? If you desire to love God anew, afresh today, then look no further than to the text of Scripture. In our following verses, the psalmist will outline for us how a love for God is cultivated and nurtured. And it's through this. It's through a deep meditation upon God's saving work in your life. See what the writer says, verse 1 and 2. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. It's there. It's clear. The psalmist's love and gratitude to God flows from his recollection of God's saving intervention in his life. And the same is true for you, Christian. Just like the bodybuilder who lifts heavy weights to become strong, the same is true for you. The more you meditate on the gospel, the more your love and gratitude to God will increase. I'll say it again. The more you meditate on the gospel, the more your love and gratitude to God will increase. Saints, this is the fuel for love and gratitude. It's remembering what God saved you from. It's remembering how God saved you when you were in the most desperate of situations. See how the the psalmist describes in verse 3 what he was going through. Again, the details aren't there, but the figurative language shows us how horrible it was. Look at your Bible, verse 3. The snares of death encompassed me. The psalmist is saying like a hunter stalking its prey, death had captured the author and was about to devour him. He keeps going in verse 3. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. Sheol being the place of the dead, which would have been synonymous with death itself for the Old Testament Jew, had shackled the psalmist and was intent on dragging him into the grave. He says, I suffered distress and anguish. 
This man was in toil and turmoil and agony. This was his seemingly hopeless dilemma. And yet everything changed when he did one thing. Look at verse 4. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Everything changed with a prayer. The turning point was when this author stopped looking to himself, looking to anyone else, looking to everything else, and looked to God alone to be his rescuer. And when he called to God, the helpless cried to the helper, and the helper heard. This is our God, church. Brothers and sisters, always remind yourself that this is what happened to you. Better than any superhero, God answered and saved your eternal soul when you cried to him for help. When you prayed to him, the God of heaven heard you and responded and came down to rescue you. This is our God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, love the Lord who answers your prayers. Love the Lord. Give thanks to God who saves. The God who saves, the Lord who hears your prayer. We're to respond then with love for this great and awesome God. Give thanks to the Lord who saves you. Church, I encourage you, do whatever is necessary to remind yourself of these truths. I encourage you, rehearse your testimony to yourself often. Pray through the central tenets of the good news frequently. God, man, Christ, response. Pray these things. Meditate on them. Make it your habit and your practice to steep yourself in the gospel. Do whatever you need to do to keep the gospel front and center in your mind every day. Because otherwise, your love and gratitude to the Lord will weaken and wane as your mind wanders away from how God saved you when you prayed to him. Make this your habit. Make this your pattern of living, always remembering the gospel. For some of you here today or listening to my voice, this is baffling to you. It's startling. Why would this group of people, why would we love God? Why should we love our maker? Why should we be grateful and thankful to him? You have no love for God. That's why you asked that question. And you have no love for God because you have not yet realized the plight that you're in. You've not realized that your careless living has made you the subject of God's judgment. You've not realized the seriousness of your situation and that you need a savior. You've likewise not realized how the God who should judge you, who must judge you, is also the God who is willing to save you, who loves you with an intense love, so intense that he sends his son Jesus to die and rise for your sake, to die to pay for your sins, to rise to show that your sins are forgiven. Friend, don't continue on ignoring this God. Don't continue on ignoring this Lord who loves you so dearly. Let today be the turning point for you. Let today be the day when you call to the Lord, when you pray to God and you say to him, Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul from judgment. Pray to God in the words of a prayer found elsewhere in scripture. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
The promise of God's word in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, is that if you cry out to God, if you call to the Lord, you will be saved. It's that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We here can testify of this truth, that this promise is real because it's happened to us. It's happened to those of us who make up Grace Fellowship Church. Brothers and sisters, give thanks to the Lord who saves you. Love the Lord who answers your prayer. This is our first response. Because the rain stopped, I'm going to keep going. This is our first response. Let's read verses 5 to 7, and that will lead us then to our second response. Look with me in your Bible, verses 5 to 7 in the scriptures, Psalm 116. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. This leads us to our second response of gratitude. Give thanks to the Lord who saves you. Second response is this. Trust in the Lord who delivers your soul. Trust in the Lord who delivers your soul. The psalmist, having just described how God saved him from this horrible situation, now goes into a description of the attributes of God. He says in verse 5, look at your Bible, gracious is the Lord, he's righteous, and our God is merciful. Now you have to wonder, after describing all that he's been through, why does he now focus on the attributes of God? It's because God's attributes are always on display in his saving acts. Every time God intervenes in the life of a person, he demonstrates the beauty and glory of his infinite perfections. These very attributes are the, reason what, are the reason that make God willing and able to save us both now and forever. To state it in another way, it's because of who God is that he is able to do what he does. In this context, when the psalmist speaks of the grace of God, he's referring to the undeserved benevolence which leads him to extend help to the helpless. When he speaks of the righteousness of God, the writer is referring to the covenant faithfulness of God. The fact that the Lord never breaks his promises, the promises that he makes to those whom he loves. When he speaks of the mercy of God, he's speaking to the fact that God is moved to pity and action when he sees how powerless we are. It's because these things are true of the Lord that he then acts in verse 6, what, that, that, that the psalmist is able to say this in verse 6. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Simple here is in terms not of being a simpleton or a fool or ignorant, but simple here is meaning one who is willing to be taught. One who is willing to be instructed. One who has childlike faith in God. One who knows no better than to trust in the Lord. This is the type of person who God saves. God saves those who can't help themselves. He helps those who can't help themselves. This is the Lord. This is the reason why we're to give thanks to this God. And church, we know this to be true, of course. It's not because we were so great that God saved us. Not at all. None of us are great. But it's because God is so great that he saved us. It's because he is so awesome that he's chosen to deliver us. That he's chosen to have mercy on us. Therefore, the psalmist keeps going in verse 7 and he says, look at your Bible. Return, O my soul, to your rest. 
for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. This is such a tremendous and beautiful verse. The psalmist is speaking to his entire personhood, mind, emotions, thoughts, feelings, everything. He speaks to his entire person and he says, soul, after all you've been through, now you get to rest. Now you get to rest because God has been so good to you. He's been so bountiful to you. He's dealt bountifully with you. Bountiful meaning richly, abundantly, plentifully, lavishly. To the psalmist, the saving grace of God is like a heavenly waterfall that just keeps gushing with goodness towards him. And it's for this reason that he can now no rest. And just in case we forgot how dismal his situation truly was, he rehearses for us once again in verse 8 what he went through. Look at your Bible, verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. You really do get the sense in this verse of how close this man truly was to destruction. But in the nick of time, the Lord delivered him. At the 11th hour, God came through. And as a result of this, he goes on in verse 9 and he says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. The psalmist says he will not die or go down to Sheol, but he will continue to live in this life in the land of the living. And as he does, he will walk before the Lord. He'll walk before the Lord like a son, knowing that his father is watching him and taking care of him. He will walk before the Lord in the land of the living as a son, like a son who knows that his father has been so good to him and therefore he wants to obey him at every turn. This is what the psalmist is implying when he says, I will walk before the Lord. And it's for these reasons why the soul of the writer can be at rest. Brothers and sisters, it's for these same reasons why your soul can be at rest as well. These very same things that happened to the psalmist is what happened to us. These are the reasons why we are to give thanks to the Lord who saves us, who saves you. Our God has dealt bountifully with us as well. He has exercised his grace, righteousness, and mercy towards us. He delivered us by bringing life and immortality to life through Jesus. He saved us from a destiny of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he's promised to wipe away the tears from our eyes forever. Our God has kept us from stumbling and he will present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. For these reasons, Christians, you may rejoice and be glad. And you may rest in the salvation that God has won for you. In light of this church, I encourage you, I implore you, do not give in to the temptation of allowing your day-to-day circumstances to rob you of the rest God has won for you. Don't allow your circumstances to rob you of the rest that God has given to you. Admittedly, this is a challenge. We all have difficulties in this life. When the pressures of life bear their toll on us, it's very easy. It's It's a huge temptation to forget what God has done for us. 
How can my soul be at rest when I have wayward children? How can my soul be at rest when I have financial instability? How can my soul be at rest when I have chronic health issues? This temptation likewise faced the psalmist. See what he says in verses 10 and 11. He says, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. You see, what the psalmist is doing here is similar to what you kids do at home. You go up to the fridge, you open it up, and you say, there's nothing here to eat. When in reality, there's leftover lasagna, there's chicken noodle soup, there's fruit salad, and other odds and ends staring you right in the face. Yeah, the fridge is not full to the brim, but there's definitely food in there to eat. What you're doing in that moment is you're exaggerating. You're, you're speaking. You're st- making a statement of hyperbole. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. He now recognizes that at a previous time, he spoke words that might have called into question his faith in the Lord. He said things at whatever time that he now realizes were not accurately representing what he was going through. When he says, I am greatly afflicted, he now realizes that he may have overemphasized his difficulty. Whatever may have motivated him to say it, whether someone had betrayed him or failed to fulfill a promise to help him, the poet now knows that he had spoken inaccurately when he said, all mankind are liars. At a time when he almost When he was almost at his end, he spoke rashly. He spoke words too quickly. But now he clarifies for us that even when he said those things, which he should not have said, he kept believing. He says, I believed even when I spoke. This is a tendency tendency we all face. To overemphasize the difficulties that we're facing. Like on a gloomy day when it feels like the sun has disappeared forever. It is tempting to allow our present circumstances to cloud out the eternal reality of God's goodness toward us. But brothers and sisters, we must not give in to this temptation. We must not give in to this temptation to doubt the goodness and love of God. Brothers and sisters, continue to trust in the Lord who delivers your soul. Continue to trust in this God who has been faithful all along. Trust in the Lord who delivers your soul. Because the truth is that however severe the suffering you are facing is, your eternal salvation in Jesus Christ is far more weightier and long-lasting. This is not some form of positive thinking or pretending that everything is all right. This is not me or even the text of Scripture trying to make light of the situations that some of us here are facing right now but it is to show how gargantuan, how massive, how immense, how gigantic our eternal salvation truly is. And it's meant to show us how this salvation that God has done for us truly dwarfs all the sufferings of this life. This is what Paul is referring to in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, when he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is what he means when he says something similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
Believer, even when it's hard, trust in the Lord who delivers your soul. Do this by keeping your eternal destination, your eternal destiny in sight. Keep in mind that this is your reality. That God is preparing for you a destiny, a hope that will never fade. Yes, we acknowledge that this life can be crushingly hard. But we also acknowledge and believe what is stated in Romans chapter 8. That we are more than conquerors. That nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. One day our suffering, your suffering will end. Either in this life or in the life to come. Therefore, people of God, keep trusting in the Lord who delivers your soul. And therefore, people of God, give thanks to the God who saves you, to the God who saves us. Now, in the final seven verses of this psalm, the writer is going to ask a question and spend the rest of his time answering that question. Let me read verses 12 and 13, and that will lead us to our final response of thanksgiving to God. Verse 12 and 13. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? The answer. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. This leads us to our final response of gratitude, which is this. Praise the Lord with all of his people. Praise the Lord with all of his people. In verse 12, the psalmist puts forward this rhetorical question And he says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And in this question, we see the heart of gratitude on display in the life of the psalmist. And we've all been there. Somebody does something kind for you. Someone does something nice to you. And you're ecstatic. You're just full of appreciation. Someone mows your lawn. You want to bake them a cake. You're just so over the moon because of someone's goodness towards you. And that's what's happening here. This man is so glad because of what God has done for him that he's just overflowing. And this is not an attempt on the part of the psalmist to try and pay God back. That would be utterly impossible. This instead is a demonstration of his thankfulness to the Lord. See what his response is. I will lift up the cup of salvation, verse 13, and call on the name of the Lord. This cup of salvation is likely referring to a sacrificial drink offering poured out on the altar in homage to God. It's the type that would have been described in Leviticus 7 and Numbers 15. In the act of his offering, he says he will call on the name of the Lord, meaning here that he will extol and magnify God. This is the answer to the question of verse 12. What are we to do in response to God's saving goodness, to God's saving grace? It's this. It's to worship him. This is our response to what God has done. Give thanks to the God who saves you. How are we then to respond? It's to worship him. It's to worship this great and awesome king. You see that worship and gratitude, they go hand in hand. They're like two peas in a pod. They're always together. They're inseparable. Gratitude and worship. The person who truly understands what God has done for them will then respond and worship to the Lord. Therefore, church, praise the Lord together, not only as individuals, but together as the gathered people of God. See what the psalmist says in verse 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. 
When he speaks of a vow here, he's speaking back to a time, likely in the middle of his crisis, in which he offers up a vow to God, asking God to save him. This would be similar to the vow that Hannah offered to the Lord, saying, God, if you give me a child, I will give him back to you. This is what the psalmist is doing here. He's showing us that he has promised to the Lord a new degree of consecration, devotion, and worship to God. All if the Lord would save him. And this payment, the drink offering, was to be done in the presence of God's people. He had already thanked God privately. Now it was his duty to do so publicly. Church, it is right and good to worship God and to give him thanks for what he's done in your life alone, privately. But even more so, maybe even more needed is to do this publicly. It's to do this with the people of God. And we have the opportunity to do this every week when we gather together to tell each other about what God has done for us. Now look at verse 15 as the psalmist makes sort of like a a, a switch, something that you wouldn't expect, but let's look at it together. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now having talked about and explained how God had saved him, now the psalmist reflects on the death of saints, all as he's speaking about his obligations to God to worship him and to worship him with the rest of the people of God. Why is he doing this? It seems like an oddly placed sentence. I believe the psalmist does this because he has a new appreciation for God's care for his people, both when they are saved from death, as in his case, and when they are permitted to die, as is in the case of many others. So far, the poet has shown us that God displays his faithfulness and care to his people by preventing them from dying. But does this then mean that God is unfaithful if he permits one of his people, a Christian, to die, whether through sickness, an accident, or at the hands of another person? Absolutely not. Our God has never been unfaithful. Because because of Jesus' death, death no longer has the final say. We believers do not fear the grave because Jesus has defeated this opponent through his own death and resurrection. As Christ said in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The death of a Christian is not an accident. It's an appointment. Death now becomes the gateway by which the believer enters into heaven. That place, heaven, that place where life will never die. Church, because of this, give thanks to the Lord who saves you. Give thanks to the Lord who saves us. In these last concluding verses, the psalmist keeps going. He says in verse 16, identifying his new identity, showing us his new identity. He says in verse 16, O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. The psalmist tells us now he wants to spend his entire life in service to the Lord. And he also gives us a look into his family heritage, into his family legacy. 
His mother was a maidservant of the Lord, a faithful woman of God. And now he's following in her footsteps. Kids, many of you here have godly parents. Parents, in fact, who have brought you here today to listen to the word of God and participate in the worship of the Lord. They're not perfect parents. There's no such thing as perfect parents in this life, in this world. None of us are. But they're parents who are seeking to point you to Jesus. Don't take that for granted. Don't take this opportunity lightly. Follow their example by following their Savior. This is what this man is doing here, following in the footsteps of his godly mother. And in these last three verses, he says again, reiterating what he's already told us in verse 13 and 14. He says, verse 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Do you notice how all of his thanksgiving is in the, the, the avenue, in the, the context of the corporate gathering? It's all in the context of the people of God together. And the people of God together joining him in worship. Church, the good things that God has done for us should not stay with us. We must speak them to each other. Share them in your, your small group, in your member group. Share them in prayer, meeting, prayer meetings. Share them by singing sincerely during our worship services. You see, the simple act of declaring the goodness of God to one another is God glorifying in and of itself. And it has the added effect of fostering worship in the hearts of those who are listening. One, of the, one, of, one great way to do this is by asking to hear of each other's salvation testimonies as you talk. Maybe practice that even today after the service. When you, when you say hi to a fellow brother and sister, ask them, how did the Lord save you? It's been a while. I don't remember it. Talk about how God saved you and watch. Watch immediately as you hear about God's saving work, how gratitude will begin to fill your heart anew. And how together you want to pray and say, God, thank you for saving us together. Lord, add more to our number. Add more people to our church who are being saved. This is the effect. Give thanks to God the Lord who saves you, and praise the Lord with all of his people. Brothers and sisters, we were helpless, but the helper has saved us. Now we have an unbreakable bond with our God. It's one in which we give thanks to him by loving him, trusting him, and praising him together. As I mentioned earlier, it's fitting that this psalm would have been sung during the Passover. In fact, it's likely that this is one of the songs sung by Christ during the Passover meal where he instituted the Lord's Supper. What an opportunity that we now have to give thanks to the Lord for saving us by raising up the cup of salvation and partaking in the Lord's table together. Let's prepare for that now. Let's pray. Holy God, thank you for your love towards us. Thank you for your care towards us. Thank you for Jesus who died and rose again to redeem a people for his own possession. Holy God, again, remind us of all you've done 
and fill our hearts with thankfulness and gratitude. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.